Who was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? What's something about his legacy that might not be as well known? And what was the inspiration behind his famous I Have a Dream speech? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. Martin Luther King Day. We're going to honor the life and legacy of one of the most notable men in history. Dr. King dedicated his life alongside other civil rights leaders to ensure a world that didn't judge people by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, to quote King's I Have a Dream speech. And his valiant and steadfast work is one of the many reasons why we celebrate him and his legacy today. So what was the 1963 March on Washington? What are pieces of Martin Luther King's life that we might not know about? And how did he change the world? Well, here to talk me through all of this is the author of Letters to Martin, Meditations on Democracy in Black America, Dr. Randall Maurice Jelks. And Dr. Jelks joins me now. Dr. Jelks, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, the sun is out today, so that's a beautiful day. Uh, you know what? We always can be blessed and grateful when the sun is out. It's, it's one of the most important things that we need. Um, and I feel like we're going to get a lot of sunshine in this podcast as well, because it's always a pleasure to get to talk about someone as influential and important as uh, to our nation's history as Martin Luther King Jr. So uh, let's jump right in. I mean, Dr. Jelks, this was a man who was so gifted in school that he entered college at the age of 15. So what was it about a young Martin, who was actually born with the name Michael, that made him so special? Well, I don't think he thought in, in that terms of himself as special. Uh, he entered school at Morehouse College when uh, lots of young men, very talented young men, were being recruited to Morehouse because of World War II. Um, and so when he entered uh, school, um, it was a special admissions program for talented youngsters. So he, he joined a whole host of young, talented uh, people like himself, young men, uh, since Morehouse is an uh, all-male uh, school, and uh, uh, joined them. Um, in, in college, he, he was having a, a good time, as many people uh, do in college. So <laughs> he uh, be, appeared to be an exceptional student until he got to when he went to seminary. Uh, then he he got very serious, but but before that he was he was a youngster, and we should remember that he was having a good time. Um, he was uh, chasing girls, uh, he was dating, um, and uh, he was a natty dresser. Uh, so we don't know what people will become, do we? We absolutely don't, and, and that's a great point because when you look on, you look at the past, you look on YouTube and Google. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And, and you just you you kind of are, are just really enthralled by his speaking abilities and just how poised he is. You don't really think of him as this young kid chasing girls and just being a kid because he skipped grades nine and twelve. Um, yeah, that's right. You know, can you talk to me more about his childhood? Because I know his grandma, I know he, uh, she unfortunately suffered a heart attack, passed away when he was 12, uh, which then prompted him to allegedly attempt suicide. So how do you no, think no, that? It's if- not a alleged thing. He was so, you know, he was so attached to his uh, his, his grandmother that it, it, it put him in uh, 
uh, we are all emotionally vulnerable, you know, uh, kids, adults. We now know that more than in the, in the past. And that really uh, was a trying circumstance for him. And uh, um, he, he, he was so emotionally distraught that he wanted to, to harm himself. And um, that also makes him more human. And that makes what he did uh, even more extraordinary because he was very human and a vulnerable kid. He was, his grandmother lived with them and, and he loved her. And, um, you know, boy, you know, losing my own grandparents, it was, and I was an adult, it was very tough. So I can imagine being 12 years old uh, mm. and so forth. You are much more, and you don't know how to talk about your feelings and um, why uh, uh, this, this might occur. Right. I mean, he is that he was a child at that point, 12 years old. How do you think that moment affected his future? Because because he obviously turned things around. Well, I think I think he he, he did. I think it, I mean, um, he had a, he had a loving relationship with his grandmother and he had a loving relationship with his mother and uh, his father. And his father was a pretty tough guy on him. Uh, but he, he had a loving relationship with uh family and always that kind of wins out sometimes if you know you know your love and you're safe and they uh they want to protect you but even the the most brilliant kid has a, a moment where i'm sure your parents were worried about you just like mine's were worried about me at a certain age 13 14 because <laughs> you're really you think you know more than you do and you really don't right How, can you describe to me just the way that his early career went because we talked about his academic life early on what it was like as a kid um then he went on to get his doctorate in systematic theology he's just always an extremely impressive guy so how did his early career uh, what did his early career rather look like well i mean you know i mean part of his career is just going to school i mean he was uh uh because he was going into the family business and i i i, I don't use that disparagingly um uh, but he was going into ministry as his grandfather, who had founded Eb- Ebenezer Church, who was the pastor of Ebenezer Church. Uh, he was going into the kind of uh, family business, and so 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 in many ways he was he had uh, both through his uh, grandmother's uh, and, and he had sort of witnessed uh, leadership. Uh, all the people in this family had some role of leadership. So he had learned about leadership, uh, you know, um, early on. And how to lead people is a, is, is a big thing. I mean, that's, a, um, as you well know, that's a really hard uh, thing to do and get people behind a goal. So he had witnessed leaders and leaders coming through his household uh, and uh, all around. So he had... He had learned that poise by witnessing and being present to people who were in different degrees of leadership. Yeah, leadership is such a notable characteristic that he possessed and he did so well at. To piggyback on that, Dr. Jokes, let's just jump forward to August 28th, 1963. What went down during the March on Washington? Just to give you a little history, people don't just realize it's uh, during World War II, uh, a. Philip Randolph, who was uh, uh, a labor leader in, in the black community, uh, had planned a march on Washington uh, uh, previously to push the federal government to open up um, 
employment to African Americans where there were federal contracts. Um, President Roosevelt and um, uh, Randolph came to an agreement that there would not be a march on Washington uh, then, but then Randolph came back to King um, uh, almost 20 years later and said that it was time to advocate not just for civil rights, but for better employment uh, jobs, you know, it was about jobs and freedom. Uh, and so that was organized. Uh, all the logistics was put by uh, Bayard Rustin, uh, who had done some work for King and who was an organizer under um, under uh, A. Philip Randolph. Now, what's interesting story about Rustin is uh, Mr. Rustin, whom I was enough to meet years and years ago before his death, um, it, uh, was um, he was um, uh, uh, openly gay, openly gay before his time, and that was used used against him, um, and it was a, a threat to the march. But uh, Bayard Rustin was a logistical genius and was able to help uh, organize that, and King was the the closer, so to speak. Uh, uh, but that wasn't the first time uh, King had spoken uh, at the Lincoln Memorial. The first time is 1957, where he gives uh, a wonderful speech where most people don't recognize uh, in it, uh, to celebrate Brown versus Board of Education in 1957. He gives us a speech called Give Us the Ballot about voting rights. So... Uh, that march came together with the coalition of civil rights organizations and organizations from states and elsewhere to bring all of those people into the city of Washington, D.C. without incident. And he was going to give a more direct speech. And you can hear in the background the great gospel singer from New Orleans, Mahalia Jackson, New Orleans and Chicago, Mahalia Jackson saying, uh, tell them about the dream, Martin. Mm -hmm. And he improvises and uh, goes into the speech about uh, I have a dream. So uh, that march uh, really was to get legislation pushed through. Uh, th the purpose of any kind of protest is to move the government in the in a democratic way uh, to get legislation up and push the Kennedy administration then and then after that the tragedy of uh, President John F. Kennedy push the Johnson administration to, to and the Congress to uh, make the 1964 um, Civil Rights Act. Right. The, well, let's let's get into that, because, yeah, to your point, a year later, that was March on Washington was 1963. In 1964, the Civil Rights Act passed. Um, that was such, you know, a, a big moment, a groundbreaking law. What role yeah. did MLK play in that? Well, it, well, without uh, two things, without uh, the protests going on in Birmingham, Alabama, that uh, he had began to lodge in the spring of 63, um, and that where we see people, dogs being sicked on people, water hoses pulled out, without that march, which was controversial uh, uh, among many groups, including black Americans, uh, because it involved young people, it involved children. Um, without that march, uh, uh, we wouldn't have gotten the nation's uh, attention at that time. So uh, the, the, he had to take some risks. 
And then, of course, in 1964, uh, the risk is now to uh, uh, make good on the Voting Rights Act that he had advocated in 57 at the Lincoln Memorial. So so these uh, leadership of taking on leadership, of putting people out there to to protest in the streets, uh, getting the agreement of people in Birmingham to risk their own lives and safety, of course, um, and you know it was not without its uh, terrible tra tragedy, uh, the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church and those four little girls being um, bombed on a Sunday as they are preparing for Sunday school. So those those are, were risks. People um, really you really resisted um, resisted uh, in every means. Uh, what we all now take for granted, that people have the right, no matter what color they are, to walk down the street, to go to the store, uh, to buy a car or whatever. But that was, unfortunately, lots of bloodshed was uh, shed for that. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Yeah, you mentioned the risks that he took. I mean, how did he manage those risks? I mean, what what dangerous steps did he take throughout his life that ended up propelling our country forward? Well, for King, he's a Baptist minister. So you have to identify the idea of risk uh, by his own faith commitments. Mm. Uh, and that you you can't you can't stereotype him. He's a human being. He's got all the faults of, and troubles of all human beings, but he's got a faith commitment, and that that guides him. That that he actually believes that first, nonviolence can be achieved. We ought to be protesting nonviolently, not harming each other. Uh, we ought to argue about our disagreements, not fisticuffs or guns or whatever else. Uh, secondly, he really believes that. Uh, he has a mandate, uh, a calling um, from God uh, to continue this struggle, uh, even if it, it, it puts his own life in peril. Uh, and he really actually uh, believes that uh, till, till the very end of his life. So, so those kinds of things. Uh, uh, and he's willing to work with lots of different groups of people and all the headaches of being a leader. Or whether you run uh, uh, your television show or whether you run uh, run your classroom, there are headaches that are come with that. Mm -hmm. And so he's willing to take on those headaches. And we forget that he starts off as a 26-year-old man. He's 26 when Montgomery bus boycott kicks off. Uh, and that's that's an amazing feat. That is really crazy to think about. 26 years old, just how different he might have looked at as a 26-year-old to other people now that are, are 26 and just kind of the priorities and things like that. I mean, he really was mature for his age. I, I love that you bring up the faith aspect of his life. I, I recently drove Harris Faulkner and one of my Fox Nation shows is called The Ride to Work. And, and I, I talked about her faith and her career and, and everything. And she brought up something. Um, and she goes, you know, I believe we all have a divine assignment. And it seems like MLK also believed he had a divine assignment as well, given the fact that his faith played such a role in his life. What do you think that divine assignment was for him, doctor? Well, his, 
his divine assignment was to rid the nation of Jim Crow laws, uh, to uh, make the United States in a more inclusive society. Uh, that he felt, he felt, he said, look, if I lived in Russia, my, my expectation might be different. But I live in the United States. And this is what I believe we are directed to be called to. And um, and um, he, he further he he furthered that he he uh, he he did, you know me, like me I often tell my students oh you know if I'd have got the Montgomery bus boycott and I would have just said oh you know I'll be in the history books and let me go on and live a nice quiet life. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and you know, write a book about it, and you know, make a little money. But he 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 feels like th- that. Uh, he uses this German phrase "Zeitgeist." This is the spirit of the time. It is time to move, uh, uh, move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he continues that continues that battle. And that's his that uh, comes out of commitment because we have to remember this. Even at twenty six, his house was bombed. His wife just barely escaped uh, of being bombed with their infant firstborn daughter. Uh, and and he says, like, he has a moment of sort of what he describes in his own words as come to Jesus. It's not my father's faith. It's not my, you know, uh, it's not, it's my faith. And I have to I feel like um, God is calling me to, to act. And that's when he acts. And it's out of a moment of sheer um, um, uh, mayhem. You know, somebody bombs your house with your family in it. That, mm. That's crazy. Especially and, a newborn and, that, and your wife. That's right. That's correct. You know, battle, you use the word battle. That is such a fitting word to describe what he had to do, to do the types of things that he did, the bravery he had, the strength he portrayed. That takes God. But it also takes a good support system. Uh, you mentioned his wife and his newborn child, but who are the other people in MLK's inner circle? Well, I mean, you know, the thing that I, I think it, it, it'd be a, he would say, uh, if I if I could channel him mm-hmm. for a moment, it wasn't just my faith. It was the people of faith around him. Um, it was the Rosa Parks, the Joanne Littles, um, the other... Uh, so many women organizers that are unsung in the hero uh, as heroes in this movement. It was all their faith uh, combined uh, that kept him going when he wanted to run and duck. Uh, and the you know the Ella Bakers, uh, these were women who were uh, unsung, um, but who risked their lives uh, equally. And he felt a commitment. When you're sort of like a team, right? When you're on the team, you um, sometimes you know you're exhausted, but you're running because you want your team to to succeed. You want them to be there, and they gave him strength to keep keep moving on. And so uh, I think that's that's the way I would describe it. And there were so many other people um, um, you know, who who gave him who gave him strength and hope and kept him uh, um, um, hopeful uh, because all being attacked is uh, no matter who it is, it's dispiriting. It takes a lot out of you and to keep hopeful and optimistic, it, it takes a lot of strength mm-hmm. and you need a, 
a, a strength of community around you. Yeah, collective faith is such a powerful thing. And and I love that you brought that up because it is true. You look at all of those heroes and you're like, wow, I mean, this is this is such a notable time in our history. You know, I, I love talking about his life. And, you know, you open any history book, you learn about this in grade school, high school, college, and you really see the things that he did. But I want to talk about just his main legacy. You know this better than anyone. You've studied this. You teach it. Uh, what do you think his main legacy is? Well, I think King's great legacy was to articulate for the, the nation uh, the uh, the great concerns about um, the very um, uh, spiritual condition. And the word spirit comes uh, from the word breath, uh, the, the air we breathe, what we think, how do we uh, think about human beings. And I think he articulated a vision that we are still trying to work toward living up to, um, that we are all owe ourselves, um, and it really came out of an internal place. Uh, uh, not everyone is Christian, uh, not everyone uh, is religious, uh, but, it would, would, but everyone does have an internal place, a core place, and that's what King is trying to get to. That's why he always talked about the contents, the core. Um, and so th- that's really important. What is your core? At, at, what, at what point, you know, you are not willing to uh, compromise some things on. And human dignity, uh, disparaging somebody for whatever things that are not in their control, how they look, how tall they are, how short they are, uh, how, uh, how uh, heavy they are, is not in, under that anyone's control. So he, what he's asking us to do is say, what is the core value why we look at our fellow citizens and our fellow people um, one to another? Mm. Yeah, I, I think about just his ability to be able to connect with people because, you know, we, we live in a world where, you know, take politics, for instance. It's so hard if you disagree with someone nowadays. I mean, you try to get someone to listen to you. And if they disagree with you, they don't even really listen. And at that time, there was so much going on. Uh, there was violence. There was hate. How did he get people to listen to him? You know, not everybody listened. Right, right. And, and of course, I think we would be, uh, you know, um, human beings behave in ways that human beings behave, whether you want to believe in sinfulness or aggressiveness or whatever you want to call it. uh, Human beings behave that way when they think they have power and control. And when one is trying to open up uh, the the airways to women, Barbara Walters, it's a constant, constant battle. So he had to be persuasive of what he believed and he had to repeat over and over again to you is in the best interest of the country. And you know, uh, why I say that is that uh, the American South today is a different place than it was 60 years ago. Uh, BMW, Honda, all of these companies that are lodged in the American South would not be lodged in the American South had it not been for people like King and others who fought to open up the South because it would have been seen as these multinational companies, 
where from Germany to to uh, to to J Japan would not have wanted to reside in the South. So you have to have a belief that this is going to be a positive for all. And today, that is quite the uh, uh, the positive to all. Not not to diminish the problems, but to see that wow, the South changed because somebody took the risk to say you must be an inclusive space for all people. Absolutely. I, I mean, you br you bring up many people who had an influence during that time, and it, it definitely was a collective effort. And But you think about how much he just did, you know, and how he worked with yeah. others. It, it truly, it's inspirational. Right. It, well, it, it's also, <laughs> what it teaches me is it, even collaborations are tough, tough sledding sometimes. And you, <laughs> you have to the extraordinary, the extraordinary patience of working with other people uh, who have priorities and egos and and so forth uh you're in the news business and you you, you certainly must you must know this uh, <laughs> all the time but he showed exhibit patience and mm. and and what one of his key skills i think that ought to be emphasized is listening um he was from everything i have learned and he was a great listener and uh that's a great skill of leadership. And um, one time he was uh, in Chicago, was late for a meeting because he was sitting with street gang kids, listening to their 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 concerns uh, and uh, discussing with them nonviolence, uh, which he believed. Um, and that great listening skills, all of those young people who were in that meeting uh, uh, all came away maybe not agreeing with him, but impressed that he was willing to listen to them. Wow. I love that because it's, you know, to be, to give the kind of speeches that he gave, um, you also have to be a great listener. You know, speaking well is also about learning from others. It seems like, to your point, he did that a lot. Um, and, and we talk about the main legacy of MLK, what do you think are aspects of his legacy that we might not be aware of? I mean, I love that you brought up the point that he sat with street kids, was late to a meeting, things like that. What else can you offer me? Well, I I, I can offer you that um, uh, lots of people disagree with him, uh, but they respected him in the end, and that's 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 an amazing quality. No, life is not everybody going to agree with you, and they shouldn't. Um, but in the end, what you ultimately want between people is respect for each other's uh, positions uh, and sentiments. Uh, uh, in the end, um, his legacy is uh, uh, up there with the, 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 the framers of the, the Constitution, because he is expanding on the idea that the de democracy represents all of us, not just some of us, mm -hmm. all of us. And even when we think this is fundamentally uh, against us, we ha have the system that we have to listen to one another, not punch each other in the nose. Um, and that's, that's, that's an important thing to have in our political climate today, where there isn't not much listening. There's posturing and that's different than listening and so king's great legacy is listen but he acted 
and he always had to take time to figure out how to act and when to act and uh uh and sometimes actions don't always go well and and then take on the responsibility of that so uh, that is his great legacy the change in the society why people wanted the king holiday was that um he articulated uh, uh the best of our inner selves uh that's the one way i can put it for the country and we should remember that uh because sometimes we get to fussing and fighting with one another uh that's okay uh because there are times for, for that um but the best of our inner self what do we hope what do we want um what do we aspire for what do we hope for our neighbor and ourselves and all the other people uh, around us. And that's that's what our democratic spirit should be about. Mm. Yeah, I, that's very, very eloquently put. And I think about, too, the, the world that we live in, and we look back at his time. There were people during his life that learned a lot from him. And now we are uh, introducing younger generations, uh, people who weren't born when he was alive to his legacy. What do you think the biggest thing to learn from MLK and his life is? To be present uh, to the moment, to look around the world and ask yourself, what do you want to leave better than you found it? That, that really is, we all should ask ourselves, Wait a minute. What, do, what am I going to leave? I, I could be rich. I could be this, that. But what am I leaving better than I found it? Mm. Um, I think that would be. Uh, he always said, you know, history is full of uh, uh, the bones of society, the the relics of society. What is it that I will leave that uh, is so important? And the one thing when he gave his own eulogy, he said, look, I want to be known as a servant, that I serve people, that I gave, gave back to people, not just that I took, but that I gave back, that I, I, I could be counted for serving the poor, serving those in need, serving those who feel oppressed. Uh, that service uh, is the greatest legacy of all. We, we don't remember Andrew Carnegie, uh, the uh, the great uh, steel baron for uh, making all that money from U.S. steel at one time and uh, to turn from the 19th to the 20th century. What we remember Carnegie is every library around the United States that he, they, he left an endowment to uh, to uh, fund libraries in city after city after city. That's where you remember Carnegie. You don't remember him for the being the steel baron. You remember for the gift he left to people, public libraries all over the country. So that's what King wanted to be noted for, for his service, not 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 because he was just a, a great orator, but that he was giving back back to people. Right. The important things. All right. We'll be right back after this. I got one more question for you, Dr. Jokes. Um, do you just as you look at how we celebrate MLK and how that's kind of evolved over the years, in your opinion, how should we be celebrating? I think uh, back to that word service, um, you know, um, 
Um, I used to group of young people on MLK service day. And, um, and uh, I would uh, get them educated on whatever the particular service we were going to do. So we, the, my most memorable one, it was bitterly cold. I was in Michigan, it was bitterly cold. And we had to go knock on doors to talk to people who were in older homes on the older section of the city to talk about lead poisoning, get the lead out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the students came away, these were high schoolers, came away, one, knowing, learning about the kind of old ways we use paints, that they get in the houses, they affect, they get in kids' bloodstreams, and that, um, and that even the neighbors that they knocked on their doors and talked to them about didn't know that, and how impressed their neighbors were that, you know, a group of 16, 17-year-olds in the bitter cold are out knocking and talking about this issue and helping train people and lead them with pamphlets that educated them mm. about uh, this this very important issue in the life of the community. Absolutely, especially young kids because they're impressionable. And if they start off that way, they're going to learn that from an early age and they're going to continue on as they get older and want to achieve that every single year. Well, at least that's our hope, right? Yeah, you know, no, I think it is. You know, my own children, I used to think on Thanksgiving, we'd go serve at a, a you know, a, a kitchen a kitchen for indigenous people on the street called God's Kitchen. Uh, and um, I wanted them to learn that you know, not that they were not the only ones in the world, that there are other people who needed things in the world and in life themselves. And they, they, what the world was not just about what they wanted or, but, but also giving back to others. And, you know, luckily I think that it, it, I know that it stuck with them so that they are a civic minded uh, people, but that starts early. Mm. They were, uh, 10 and 7. And I just said, nope, don't, we're going to do this. Uh, <laughs> and the Get people, up, let's go. Yeah, right. And the, they bus tables uh, and people were um, indigent and they were some a little, you know, uh, emotionally unstable, but it changed their lives so that they understand that with all the successes they might have in life, that they also are there to, to help others. Mm-hmm. I believe that God did put us on this earth, not to live for ourselves, but to live for other people. And it yeah. sounds like you're teaching that. We learned a lot about that from MLK and Dr. Jelks. I hope you can celebrate with service and I hope everyone who's listening with an appreciation of someone who made such an impact on our country. So Dr. Jelks, thanks so much for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. Wait, may I call you Abby? You can. I don't have the doctor, unfortunately. Well, no, no. I, you know, I want to be respectful. That's why I asked. But Abby, I want to thank you just for inviting me uh, and, and uh, for your uh, your questions. And thank you very much for it was a great honor to be on your show. The honor and the pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours, and here are some top takeaways about Dr. Martin Luther King. Number one, 
Dr. Jelks pointed to how MLK was a great listener. He was actually late to a meeting because he was sitting with street kids, teaching them nonviolence, but also listening to them. So while we might remember him as an ornate speaker, he also lent an ear to everyone that he came in contact with. Number two, when I asked Dr. Jelks what MLK's main legacy is, he said, MLK was able to articulate for the nation the great concerns of the spiritual condition and how we think about human beings. He taught us to be present and to look around the world and ask, how do you want to leave things better than you found them? And number three, when talking about MLK's faith and how it played a role in his life, Dr. Jelks said if he could channel MLK, he would say something along the lines of, it wasn't just his faith, it was the faith of people around him. Joanne Littles, Rosa Parks, Ella Baker is the heroes of this movement. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast on Martin Luther King Jr. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen, and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.